Amen. Well, I invite you to take your copy of Scripture and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And we will be looking at verses 11 through 16. Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm going to read for us verses 11 through 16. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. The Apostle Paul writes, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, okay? Let's pray. Father, we love You and thank You and praise You for Your grace. Lord, we pray that even in these moments now as we turn to Your Word, that You would be our vision, Lord. That our eyes and our hearts would be set upon You. Father, we pray that we would be eager and ready to receive Your Word. And Father, we pray that by Your Word, You would transform us into the people that You would have us to be. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Well, some of you may not realize this, but uh, this month actually marks the two-year anniversary of Berea Baptist Church merging with Crawford Avenue Baptist Church. So it's been about two years. Yeah, you can clap. That's great. Yeah, praise God. We're thankful. Yeah, we're thankful. And so to mark this two-year anniversary, this morning we are going to start a series, a four-week series, on our mission statement. In the last two years, actually, we've had about 85 people uh, join the church here. And so we thank God for that, and we praise God for the new folks that He's bringing into our body. And as a result, it's helpful for us to go back and to give consideration and further thought to our mission statement. Of course, that's helpful for new people who are coming into the church to learn more about who we are and what we're about. And it's helpful for those of us who have been at Crawford Avenue for some time to be reminded of what God is calling us to as a church. Now, currently, our mission statement is to glorify God by enjoying, living, and proclaiming the gospel. Uh, we actually believe that this is the central theme of the Bible, and therefore we believe it should be the central theme of our church. Now, you can say it a lot of different ways. You don't have to say it exactly the same way we say it. But at the heart of our mission statement is this idea that God is glorifying Himself, God is making much of Himself by saving a people for Himself through His Son, Jesus Christ. So our mission is to glorify God, to make much of God by enjoying, living, and proclaiming the gospel. This good news that God is saving sinners through Jesus. Now, I said that you could state that several different ways. You don't have to state it exactly the way we state it in order to get it right. But, uh, given that, that you can state it several different ways, 
our elders are actually proposing right now that we make a small adjustment to our mission statement. So we're going we're gonna to propose that we make a slight change to better communicate what it is that we're after in our mission statement. So if you look at the front of your bulletin there, you'll notice it there. Our mission statement is there. Our mission as a church is to glorify God. And here's the, here's the change that we're proposing. By making disciples who enjoy, live, and proclaim the gospel. So that's what we're, we're suggesting is that we add that phrase there by making disciples who enjoy, live, and proclaim the gospel. Now, let me just say this. It's not as though in the last few weeks or months our church just discovered discipleship. It's not like before we didn't really believe in discipleship, but now we think it's really important, so we're going to add it to our mission statement, right? No, actually, we've always been about making disciples. And even in our mission statement as it currently is, that idea of of making disciples is implicit within our mission statement. So when you think about glorifying God by proclaiming the gospel, inherent within that idea of proclaiming the gospel is the idea of making disciples. But we believe that this idea of making disciples is so critical, it's so central to what God is calling us to as a church, that we want to make it explicit in our mission statement. That we want to glorify God by making disciples who enjoy, live, and proclaim the gospel. Of course, these were Jesus' final words that he gave to his disciples. This is the mission that he gave to them before he ascended. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 to 20, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who enjoy, live, and proclaim the gospel. Now this morning, I want us to focus on this concept of making disciples. What does it mean to make disciples? And then in the weeks to come, we're going to look at what does it mean to enjoy the gospel? What does it mean to live the gospel? And then what does it mean to proclaim the gospel? Now as we look at each one of these parts of our mission statement, we will primarily look at our mission statement through the lens of the book of Ephesians. As I've stated before, I don't believe there's any other letter or book in the Bible that better encapsulates our mission statement as a church than Paul's letter to the Ephesians. But we also need to understand that as we read this letter to the church in Ephesus, this letter is not all that the Bible has to tell us about the church in Ephesus. In fact, as we look at the New Testament, we see that the New Testament has a lot to say about the church in Ephesus. So in Acts chapter 18 and 19, we learn there about Paul's initial ministry in the city of Ephesus. In Acts chapter 28, we get this address that Paul delivers to the elders in Ephesus. Then, of course, we go a little bit further in the New Testament and we have Ephesians, this letter that Paul wrote to the church there. Then you go further in the New Testament and you come to 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And both of these letters were written by the Apostle Paul to a young pastor who had been given the responsibility to lead and to teach the church in Ephesus. Then you go a little bit further along in the New Testament and you come to Revelation. And in Revelation chapter 2, you see there that Jesus is speaking a message to the church in Ephesus. So we actually, in the New Testament, there's, we have a lot of material about the church in Ephesus. 
And so what I want us to do this morning in the, in the series, in the weeks to come in our series, we're going to be focusing more primarily on the book of Ephesians. And what I want us to do this morning is kind of take a wider lens and look at kind of from Acts to Ephesians to First and Second Timothy. I want us to look at what did Paul's ministry of making disciples look like in Ephesus? How, how did Paul go about making disciples in the city of Ephesus? There's a lot we can say from the material that we have here in the New Testament, but I want us to focus on three things this morning. Paul's ministry of making disciples in Ephesus included evangelism, it included the church, and it included personal relationships. So Paul's ministry of making disciples in Ephesus included evangelism, it included the church, and it included personal relationships. First of all, it included evangelism. So if you turn to the book of Acts, we're going to be turning more this morning than we normally do, okay? But if you turn to the book of Acts, chapter 18, Acts chapter 18, we read there in Acts chapter 18, verse 19, I still hear pages, so I'll give you just a second. Acts chapter 18, verse 19, And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he, that is Paul himself, went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And then if you flip over to Acts chapter 19, verses 8 to 10, we read these words. And he, that is Paul, entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God, but when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now notice, when Paul comes into the city of Ephesus, we see right away here that he's engaged in evangelism. He is reasoning with, he is persuading with, or he is seeking to persuade those who are in the city of Ephesus. And what is he seeking to reason with them about, to persuade them about? Well, in chapter 19, verse 8, we read, he wants to reason with them and he wants to persuade them about the kingdom of God. Namely, when, when Paul comes into the city of Ephesus, he wants the people of Ephesus to know that Jesus is the promised Messiah, that Jesus is the promised King. And that no matter how religious they are, no matter how righteous they are, they cannot enter into the kingdom of God based on their own righteousness. But Jesus, who is the promised king, has come to die in order that he might pay the penalty for their unrighteousness and offer them his righteousness so that they might become citizens of the kingdom of God through faith in him. This is the ministry of evangelism. It's proclaiming, it's telling others about the good news of Jesus, of his coming, of what he did on the cross and in the resurrection to save us and redeem us. And it's interesting because this is how Paul starts his ministry in Ephesus. But then as we go a little bit further along in the New Testament, we come to the end of Paul's life. We see that as Paul is wrapping up his life, He's writing a letter, 2 Timothy, he's writing it to a young pastor in Ephesus, and he says that he wants this ministry of evangelism to continue in the city. So as Paul writes Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, he says, 
As for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. So Paul started with evangelism in the city of Ephesus, telling others about Jesus, and he seeks to end his ministry through Timothy in Ephesus, uh, fulfilling a ministry of evangelism. Mark Dever, in his book entitled Discipling, defines discipleship as this, helping others to follow Jesus. That's a simple and I think clear and really helpful definition of discipleship. Discipleship is helping others to follow Jesus. He actually goes on to expound on that definition when he writes, Discipling is deliberately doing spiritual good to someone so that he or she will be more like Christ. And notice, my friends, this not only includes helping those who are currently following Jesus to follow Jesus more faithfully and fully, but it also includes helping those who have never followed Jesus to follow him for the first time. This is the act of evangelism. This is what Jesus was doing when he spoke to his disciples initially and he said, follow me. It's that initial invitation as Jesus calls them to himself. And Jesus is calling us to that ministry as he calls us to make disciples. Part of making disciples is that initial invitation of calling people to follow Jesus for the first time. Now you might ask yourself, well, how, how are we to do this? How are we to engage in this activity of evangelism? Well, we shouldn't make it more complicated than it is. We should actually seek to do what Paul was doing here in the book of Acts. We should talk to other people about Jesus. We should seek to reason with them and persuade them. We should talk to them about who Jesus is. We should talk to them about what he did on the cross and dying for our sins. We should talk to them about how he has been declared sovereign and king as he was raised from the dead. We should talk to them about the fact that Jesus promises a kingdom that will come in its fullness and it will restore and make all things new. There will be a new heavens and a new earth and so we have great hope in him. We should talk to people about Jesus and then we should call them to follow Jesus and believe in Jesus. My friends, a prayer that we should always have as individuals and as a church is, Lord, please make me an evangelist. Make me an evangelist. Help me to help others to follow Jesus for the first time. This is the first step in making disciples, that we would be committed to evangelism. Secondly, we see as we consider Paul's ministry of making disciples in Ephesus, secondly, we see that it includes the church. So first, it includes evangelism. Secondly, it includes the church. You know, when we talk about discipleship, sometimes folks have a very narrow view of discipleship. And, and this might describe you this morning. Some people, when they think about discipleship, they think only in terms of like me and my friend getting together for accountability. Me and my friend meeting together to pray together or to help each other, encourage one another spiritually. And listen, that can be a very important part of discipleship, but it is by no means all that the Bible means when it speaks about discipleship. Again, Mark Dever in his book, Discipling, writes, quote, Biblical discipling largely occurs in and through 
churches. Let me say that again. Biblical discipling largely occurs in and through churches. And if you go back to that passage in Ephesians chapter 4 that we read initially, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16, I'm going to read it for us one more time. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, the Apostle Paul writes, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all maintain, or we all attain, to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now notice here in this text how Paul places the work of discipleship squarely in the context of a local church. This work of discipleship, this work of helping others follow Jesus, this work of helping others become more like Jesus, Paul places it squarely in the context of the local church. You notice in chapter 4, verse 11, the church has been given leaders, right? He lists them there. Chapter 4, verse 11, being given apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And what is the responsibility? What is the role of these leaders? In verse 12, it's to equip the saints, it's to equip the church for the work of the ministry. And what is the work of the church? You see it there in verse 13. It's maturity. It's that we would grow up to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, that we would become like Jesus. That's the work, that's the ministry of the church. That's the work and the ministry of discipleship. And how does this happen? Look at chapter 4, verse 15. It happens by us speaking the truth to one another in love. So there are leaders in the church that have been given a responsibility to minister the Word of God, and as the Word of God is made central in the life of the church and it's ministered faithfully, then we, the church, take up that Word, we speak it into one another's lives, we help each other live it out, and we all end up becoming more like Jesus in the process. That is the ministry of discipleship, and it occurs specifically within the context of the church. So listen, my friends, if you want to make disciples, if you say you're serious about discipleship, one of the first things you need to do is commit to a local church. You say, well, how, how do I do that? What does that look like? Let me just give you three quick suggestions how, how you might invest in a local church. One, be present when we gather together for worship. Be present when we gather together for worship. Now, obviously, I'm preaching to the choir here, right? Because you're present this morning. I commend you for being here. But listen, we should not, we should not underestimate what is happening even in these moments now. As we gather together as God's people to worship God, which we have been commanded to do, as we sing songs of praise, as we come to God in prayer, as we hear God's word preached, as we talk to one another before the service and in a few moments after the service and we pray for one another and hear about one another's burdens and concerns and get to know each other. You know what's happening in these moments? 
Christ is making disciples. That's what's happening. Discipleship is taking place. God is building up His church and making us more like Jesus. So one thing you can do is be faithful to be present when God's people gather for worship. Secondly, I would encourage you to invest in a community group. I'm thinking specifically here about our context at Crawford Avenue. These are smaller groups that gather in which we are able to live life together and become more relationally connected with one another, to bear one another's burdens, to pray for one another, to serve together, to be on mission with one another. These groups are critical to our life together as a church and critical to us becoming more like Christ. The third thing I would say, so be present when we gather, Invest in a smaller group, like a community group, where you can be more relationally connected and invested in the lives of others. And then third, look for ways to serve. Look for ways to serve. Jesus, we're told in Ephesians chapter 5, Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. You know, unfortunately, so many times when people, so many times when people visit churches, unfortunately, they take the approach of, what can this church do for me? Right? How, how can this church love me? How can this church serve me? How can this church meet my needs and my wants and the list of things that I have that I expect out of this church? But you know, rather than having an attitude of just what can I get out of the church, Christ sets a model, an example for us that we should have more of an approach of how can I love and how can I serve the church? What are ways that I can give to the church and bless the church and help the church? And listen, my friends, this is a critical part of our discipleship, right? Discipleship doesn't just happen when we're in a Bible study and like we get the warm fuzzies because it's a really good Bible study, right? That's not, if truth is being taught, that can be a really good thing. But that's not just when discipleship happens. Discipleship also happens when we are pressed into situations in which we must love others and serve others, even when it's uncomfortable or inconvenient. When that happens, you know what's happening? You're becoming more like Jesus. So see, God has designed the church so that it's in the context of the church, it's in the context of these relationships and within this community that we are becoming more like Jesus. Therefore, if you're serious about discipleship, be present when the church is gathered to worship. Invest in a community group. Look for ways to serve and love others. The church is at the heart of God's plan for discipleship. Third, as we consider Paul's ministry of making disciples in the city of Ephesus, third, we saw evangelism, we saw the church, third, personal relationships. Personal relationships. So turn to 2 Timothy. So go further in the New Testament. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. I'll actually begin reading in chapter 2, verse 1. And this is probably the passage that most people think about when they think about discipleship. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, we read, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, a few things I want us to see here in this passage. One is that there is an initial relationship that is described between Paul and Timothy. 
So he says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. So you, Timothy, heard it from me, Paul, in the presence of many witnesses. And we know that Paul was not the first one to introduce Timothy to the Scriptures. Actually, from uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, we learn that Timothy learned the Scriptures from his mother and from his grandmother. So he had a godly mother, he had a godly grandmother, they loved the Lord, they taught Timothy the Scriptures. And some point along the way, seemingly through Timothy's mother and grandmother, Timothy came to faith in Christ. But then we read in Acts chapter 16 that at the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey, Paul was preparing for that journey and he encounters this man who was in the church who was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. So that's what Luke tells us. Paul's getting ready for the second missionary journey. He's in the, he's with some of the churches there. And he identifies a young man who is well spoken of. He's a godly man. He's a a man of character. And the church has recognized that. And so Paul sees that. And then Paul wisely chooses to build on the foundation that was already present in Timothy's life. So in Acts chapter 16 verse 3 we read, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. So Paul sees this young man. He sees he's a man of character. He sees that the church is recognizing something in this young man's life. And Paul says, I want him to go with me on this missionary journey. And that's when the relationship begins. And Paul and Timothy begin to live together and do ministry together. And Paul begins to invest in Timothy's life. In fact, reflecting back on this experience later on in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 to 12, Paul writes to Timothy... Paul's at the end of his life, he's looking back over this relationship, and he says these words to Timothy. He says, you, Timothy, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Iconium, at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. And just in those verses, we get a a window into, insight into this relationship between Paul and Timothy. This this was, you, you could use the language of life on life. This was living together, doing ministry together. Paul was not just downloading information or content into Timothy's head, but they were doing life and ministry together in such a way that Paul was setting an example for Timothy to see, and then Timothy was following that example. And this is what I mean by discipleship as personal relationship. This is taking another individual and choosing intentionally to invest in their lives for their spiritual good so that they might become more like Jesus. And so we might ask the question, well, well, what, what might that look like in our own lives? What might that look like here at Crawford Avenue as we seek to minister to one another? Let me answer three quick questions to give us a sense of what this would look like. First of all, who should I disciple? Who should I disciple? Well, pray and ask that the Lord would provide someone in your life that you could do spiritual good for. It might be someone who's not yet a Christian. Technically, that's evangelism, but don't get hung up on that. Just get a sense of where they're at spiritually. 
and then begin to invest in their lives for their spiritual good. Start talking to them about Jesus and about what he's done on the cross and his death and his resurrection, how they can have life by believing and trusting in him and help them as much as you can to take steps in that direction. Maybe it's someone who's young in the faith who hasn't been a Christian very long. Come alongside them. You don't have to say, hey, I want to disciple you. You, know, you might get hung up on that. Don't worry about that. Just ask the person out for lunch. How can I be praying for you? Is there anything I can do to help you or encourage you spiritually? Would you like to start reading through a book of the Bible together? Just start investing in that person's life. Maybe it's someone like Timothy here in Paul. Maybe it's someone that's actually further along in the faith, but there's been a solid foundation that's been laid there. And you say, you know what? This is a person that I believe the Lord might use in significant ways in the future. I want to continue to build on that foundation and invest in that person's life. These are the types of things you need to be thinking about, praying about as you think, who might I disciple? Second question, how often should we meet? How often should we meet? Well, it'll look different in different situations. You might meet once a week. You might meet once every two weeks. You might meet once a month. Here's something that's really helpful as you think about what would this practically look like? How often would I invest in and meet with this person? A really helpful discipleship principle is this. When you invest in someone else's life, you don't necessarily need to add anything to your schedule. You may need to simply invite someone to come along with what's already on your schedule. That really simplifies things, doesn't it? So don't think about it all the time as like you got to add one more meeting or one more thing to do. But think about it as like, I've got to eat breakfast anyways. i got to eat lunch. Might as well invite this person to come along. Moms, you got to fold the clothes, right? Invite the young girl to come over and be a part of it. Invite them to come along and be a part of it and talk to them about their marriage. Talk to them about spiritual things. Then you might ask the question, this is the third question, who should I meet with first? How often should we meet second? Third, what would we do when we meet? When you meet, you can talk about what you're learning in the Bible. You could talk about the sermon on Sunday morning and the notes that you took and the things that you got from it. You can memorize scripture together. You could pray together. You could choose a solid Christian book that you want to read together. You could decide that you're going to serve together in specific ways in the church. You could do ministry together. There's all kinds of different things you could do. But the main point is, I want to be with you. I want to invest in you in such a way that helps you to follow Jesus more. Final thing I would say is, don't be paralyzed by the desire for perfection. And that's the final thing I'm going to say on this point. I do have something else to say, just not to mislead you. But the final thing here would be, don't be paralyzed by perfection. You know, sometimes when we get into these situations, we think, well, I, I don't want to do this because I might mess this up or I might not do this right or whatever. Listen, my friends, you're never going to do it perfectly. You're never going to do it perfectly. And praise God that he uses imperfect vessels. You know, by God's grace, I've had the opportunity over the years of being in ministry to invest in a number of young men's lives. And many of them are here this morning. And I imagine if you spoke to any of them, they could tell you ways in which I have imperfectly invested in their lives. In which I have not discipled them perfectly. Don't get hung up on perfection. You'll never do it perfectly. But praise God that God uses imperfect vessels. 
So this is the relationship that existed between Paul and Timothy. But there, there's another aspect of this, this discipleship through personal relationships. You see it there in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. There's, there's the relationship between Paul and Timothy, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. But then there's this aspect. It's called multiplication. Paul says, entrust what you've heard from me to faithful men who will then be able to teach others also. In other words, what Paul is saying to Timothy is, listen, Timothy, I've invested this in you. Now I want you to look for men who will invest in others. Paul's saying to Timothy, I want you to look for men who are not just sponges, who don't just kind of take the truth in, absorb it for themselves, but are more like conduits. They receive the truth, and then it goes through them out to others. I want you, Timothy, to look for men who are eager to do spiritual good for others, and you invest in them, and what you invest in them will then be invested in others. It's like Paul is a father here. Timothy is the son. And notice here, Paul is thinking multi-generational discipleship. You, you parents, you know this, you want grandbabies, right? That's what Paul wants. Paul wants grandbabies. Paul's saying, I'm investing in you, Timothy, and I want children from you, and then children, and then children. And so he's investing in Timothy that there might be another generation and another generation that would come to follow Jesus. That's why it's helpful when we're discipling people and we're meeting with them that we always keep mission in mind. Bible study and growth in Christ is not the end. If it doesn't include you now taking this and taking it to others. So like we should ask, we should ask the people that we're investing in, who are you discipling? Right? There's an appropriate time as we've been investing in someone to ask them, now, who do you think might be good for you to invest in? Have you thought about Bill? He just became a Christian, you know, and he's been coming to the church. I think he would really be helped if you just started meeting with him and encouraging him spiritually. We should be encouraging people to move towards multiplication. One of the things that's just a great joy of ministry to me. And one of the things I love to see is the young men that I'm investing in then start to invest in the lives of others. Whether it's starting to take a non-Christian through an evangelistic Bible study or read through a book of the Bible with a young Christian or begin to invest in one of the children in our neighborhood who come from a broken home. This is what we want to be thinking about in terms of discipleship as we invest in the lives of others, that it wouldn't just start, stop with that person, but it would be multiplied into the lives of others. And this, my friends, is really where I want us to land this morning. This is a work for all of us. Our mission statement that's there on the front of your bulletin, it reads this way. Our, okay, that's the important word now, our mission as a church is to glorify God by making disciples who enjoy, live, and proclaim the gospel. And so it's not just my mission. It's not just the mission of the elders. It's not just the, the mission of some of the leaders of our church or some spiritually elite group within our church. But it is our mission, all of us, if we are followers of Jesus are called to make disciples. All of us. And therefore, we should 
all be engaged in this activity of evangelism. Invested in the church, in the community of believers, and invested in personal relationships where we're helping others to follow Jesus. Imagine, my friends, an army of men and women. Imagine if we were truly to embrace this mission. Imagine an army of men and women, young and old, who are committed to making disciples of Jesus Christ. Imagine what God might do in our own city, in our neighborhood, and among the nations. This is our mission as a church, to glorify God by making disciples who enjoy live and proclaim the gospel. We'll be unpacking this more as we go through the weeks to come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for saving us, for sending us, for giving us this mission to make disciples. Father, I thank you for all the ways that this is already taking place within the life of our church. So I look out on faces this morning. I encourage to see new believers and people who are investing in the lives of others through Bible study and prayer. Lord, I thank you for our, even our gathering this morning as an expression of that commitment to discipleship, to helping one another become more like Jesus. Father, we pray that as we walk through these, this series over the next month and as we consider the things that you have taught us this morning from your word, we pray, Lord, that we would become more faithful and effective disciples. That we would be eager, eager, Lord, and committed to investing in the lives of others for their spiritual good. It's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.